0: The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it into writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any one of his people among you may go up. May the Lord, his God, be with him. And let him go up. This is the word of the Lord. i feeling a little under the weather today, so I'm going to do my best to um, speak loud enough for you to hear me. And uh, if I have to work around a cough drop or two... Um, be patient with me. I appreciate it. I feel an extra measure of need this morning, uh, physically. So I'd like to stop and pray before we go further. Will you join me, Lord? Thank you for the good work of illness. It is it is bad to be sick. It's bad to live in a world where sickness and disease and death are present. But it is good to be reminded that we are weak and our strength comes from you. So, uh, your word tells us today that uh, your people's work will have impact only if the Lord our God is with us. So we pray that you would be with us now and ask that you'd be with me and give me wisdom and strength to... To handle adequately the truth that we have here shown to us by your mercy and grace. Lord, thank you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. One of the things you get to do a lot of as a pastor is listen to people who are in the middle of what could only be described as despair. Desperate circumstances. So I'm going to describe to you some of the kinds of circumstances that I've heard people dealing with. Uh, You'll understand that I'm not talking about specific individuals. uh, But every one of you is going to think I'm talking about you. Right? But these are just kind of categories of people that you deal with when you start to deal with the heart and with spiritual life. So sometimes you're dealing with uh, a woman who's in the middle of an affair and she thinks she's too deep in to ever get back out. She's too bad to make a new start. There could never be forgiveness. That's despair. Sometimes it's a man who is seeking prostitutes I wish I could tell you that as a pastor dealing with Christian men I've never had that topic come up that topic has come up I know I'm not talking about you but but I am because sometimes you find yourself in a place where you, you feel like everything has gone so dark in your world there's no way out who would ever respect me if they knew it's too late to start over sometimes it's a marriage that's in a really rough patch and people get convinced it's never going to get any better because it's been this bad for a long time and we've just kind of settled into our routine and our patterns and we're just kind of waiting for the kids to graduate and then we'll go our separate ways it's too late to start over We're too bad. It's too broken. Understand, right? I'm I'm not telling anybody's particular story. But these are stories that you know. Maybe you have lived these stories. This week, it's been hearing from a lot of people who are really... um, sensing a brokenness in their relationships, feeling like the outcomes of this election, and not only the re- election, but the way people are responding to it, is straining relationships, and they're beginning to wonder, will, will my friendships carry forward? Is there so much distrust now in our culture that, that I will have to work really hard and maybe never regain so some relationships. We're too broken to make a new start. So just forget it. Let it go. The 14 year old boy who's lost his internet purity. Is there any point in fighting that fight? I'm going to be surrounded by this every day of my life until I die and it's just easier to give in and why bother trying to make a new start why bother trying to fight if you know those feelings you know what god knows when he speaks to his people through first and second chronicles this is probably the last part of the bible you would ever get around to reading you were jewish this would be the last part of your bible the books are in slightly different order in the hebrew uh, old testament starts with these nine chapters of genealogies like anybody's gonna read that and then it goes through the histories of all the kings of israel and judah like anybody's gonna read that because that's what first and second kings is about why would we bother? Here's why we would bother. First and Second Kings were written to people whose hearts were still hard, who needed to hear God say to them, "If you stay on this path, it will end badly. Turn around now, before it is too late." So, First and Second Kings gives you all the the backstory, the underbelly. The faithlessness of God and His people. First and Second Chronicles is written to people who are just broken hearted. They do not need to be convinced that they need to repent. They get it. Their problem is a different problem. It's not a hard heart, it's a broken heart. Their problem isn't that they don't want to start again. Their problem is they think there's no point in bothering because we're too bad and we're too broken and we may as well just give up and so God says no I know how to heal a broken heart the promise of these two books first and second chronicles to God's people when they were first written and today is this Yes, you were bad. Yes, you were broken. But you can begin again. Because my compassion and my love will give you strength. They are deep enough to give you a new start. God wants to draw us today to himself. And he wants to draw us to himself Through his love and compassion. By showing us. A picture of his love and compassion. So deep. That we would be drawn to him. And as we're drawn to him. Two things begin to happen. One is. Our commitment to him is renewed. We'll call that repentance. We begin to say. Lord our commitment to you has wavered. It has faltered. We have been double minded. We now commit ourselves fully to you grieving the past but looking to the future and renewing our commitment to you and you alone his love and compassion draw us to him and it renews our commitment it also renews our sense of purpose lord you put us here for a reason and we can make a new start and carry forward Your calling for us. That's renewal. Repentance and renewal start to happen when God draws us to Himself through His love and compassion. Let's see how that happens, even though you think it's impossible. Yeah, right. Good luck finding God's love and compassion at the end of Second Chronicles. It's there. Let's listen again, a little more closely. Listen. God said in verse 15, He's speaking to us through His Word. He says this, The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them through His messengers again and again. Why did He do it? Because He had pity on His people and on His dwelling place. Why for centuries did the Lord send prophet after prophet after prophet to Israel, to the southern kingdom, Judah? Why did he send Jeremiah? Why did Ezekiel write down all his visions? Why did Isaiah say what Isaiah said? Why did Micah and Amos and Obadiah and all the other Ayahs you can't remember? Why did they say what they said? Why did they write what they wrote? Because God wants his people To know His love and compassion. Because He has pity on us. He warns us. He says we need to stop. We need to turn back to Him. He warns us when our commitment to Him is wavering and faltering. When we're beginning to wonder if worshiping a different God would pay better dividends than trusting Him alone. He has love and compassion for us and He warns us. You hear the text? Again and again and again and again. It's not a God whose love and compassion can be stretched thin in one moment. Over centuries, He comes to His people and He says again and again and again, I have pity on you. I don't want to see you face the consequences of the path that you're on right now. So if that path is leading you further away from me, stop, come back. It's very easy for us to think that that warnings of judgment and calls to repent are all kind of, you know, what's the picture you have in your mind when you think of that? It got put there in the 11th grade by your English teacher when you had to read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, right? And so you have this picture of somebody who looks like they just came fresh from the Wurtz party yesterday (laughs) with a black robe on, a big black robe, standing behind a pulpit, thundering ah!" And that's what a call to repentance is. A mean man who has no business being all up in your face telling you that you're bad. Listen to what God says. I send my prophets to sound those words of warning because I have great pity on my people and on my dwelling place. Now, under Jesus, people and dwelling place have become the same. We are the temple of God. We are His dwelling place. So how much more the God who in the Old Testament had pity on His people and His dwelling place will now have pity on us because the two have become one. When He warns us of the consequences of stepping outside His design for human life, He's not being angry man in black robe, sticking His nose in your business. He is being a loving, faithful God. Now, we have to ask a question. We're talking about God's compassion and love. The word used here in the NIV translation of verse 15 is pity. How is that consistent with what verse 16 says about God's wrath? God's people over centuries mocked His messengers, despised His words, and scoffed at His prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. Many of you know the verse from 2nd Chronicles chapter 7 that says if my people will turn to me and they'll pray and they'll seek my face and they'll repent I will heal their land. The word for remedy here is the same family as that promise about healing. The text is telling us there came a point in the history of God's people when even seeking His face in repentance was not something they wanted to do. And so the one path that could lead to healing, to remedy, was closed. And God displayed His wrath by raising up the Babylonian empire to take His people captive. How is wrath consistent with a God who's full of compassion and love? Can I give you the easy answer? It's not. I'm done. That's the easy answer. The easy way out of this is to go, yeah, see, I told you. God of wrath, God of love in the New Testament, God of wrath in the Old Testament, inconsistent, I'm not going to be a Christian. That is the easy way out as though you're the first person who ever thought of that. Right? People have been thinking that since there have been people. We're not the first ones to see this tension. So let's not take the easy way out and just conclude that, oh, there's no way to square these things and give up. Let's press in a little deeper. One thing we want to do is uh, to recognize what Scripture actually says. I read an article yesterday by a person who was uh, kind of responding to the election that just passed. And, and um, kind of chiding those of us in our culture who are too quick to judge others. And they said, as part of the article, my God doesn't tolerate judgment. Now, the, the writer of this article didn't give any evidence... For to, to back up that claim. They said they know the Bible and have studied it longer than most people because they grew up going to a religious school. But they didn't give any evidence from the Bible to back up the claim that, that the God of the Bible doesn't show judgment. Let's just look at the text and be honest, right? It says, if God opens the path to healing through repentance and you won't take it, And the only path forward is wrath. That's what His Word actually says. I'm not saying that because I'm a mean person. I don't have a black robe. That's how you know I'm not mean. (laughs) I'm not saying that because it's easy to say. I mean, We live in a culture that wants to get rid of all the claims that God is wrathful. So, my job would be a lot easier if I could ignore this part of the Bible... Here's the problem I have with that. I love Jesus more than everything else in the world put together. And I want every person I know to love Jesus more than everything else put together. And Jesus spent a lot of time using the whole Old Testament to show people what it said about him. In Luke chapter 24, verse 27... It says that after he was raised from the dead. He opened the eyes of his disciples. Who weren't understanding things clearly. And he showed them. From Moses and all the scriptures. What it said about him. Second Chronicles is part of all the scriptures. So even what God's word has to say. About his wrath can point us to Jesus. That's why I can't throw out this little detail. And that's why it's it's love for Jesus that at the end of the day is going to make me be faithful to every detail of the Bible. It's not love for the Bible that makes me faithful to the Bible. It's love for the God who has revealed Himself through His Word then revealed himself through his son who loved every portion of his word so even the parts i don't like i have to love because of my love for jesus so now the article i read yesterday um, went on to condemn and rightly so all kinds of human sin against other people it was condemning racism and hatred for women, and hatred of foreigners and strangers and people who just aren't like us. The fancy word for that is xenophobia. It's getting tossed around a lot these days. And it is right for us to stand up and condemn those things. What we want to see, though, is that in the context of saying, my God is not a God of judgment, this author turned around and passed judgment on a lot of people. Why? Why? Because we know we live in a universe where some judgment is necessary in order to protect those who are at risk. God's wrath works that way. Sometimes in order to show compassion to one group, God has to warn another group of wrath that is coming if they will not cease and turn to Him. So sometimes, in a strange way, while we're trying to get rid of God's wrath, what we're actually doing is undermining compassion. If God has no wrath to show against racism, then why don't we just engage in racism? Because God does have wrath to show against racism. And the way he encourages those who are victims of racism. Or who fear that they might become victims of racism. One of the ways he encourages us when we're on the wrong side of evil. Is by saying, but the day is coming when I will hold all that evil to account. So wrath is not an easy thing to think about. It's not a pleasant thing to talk about. It is something that God talks about. One of the reasons he talks about it is because he wants, to, he wants to speak protection and comfort over those who are mistreated. And he has pity and wants to warn those who are doing the mistreating before it's too late. One other word about God's wrath Romans chapter 3 verse 25 says an incredible thing. It says that God offered Jesus as a sacrifice to atone for our sins. And it says one of the reasons God did that was to to demonstrate his own justice. Because the sins committed beforehand had never been adequately punished. Okay, what does that mean? That before Jesus died on the cross, no human sin had ever been adequately punished. And so, in order to uphold His own justice and to pour out on evil all the wrath that it deserves, which God had never done, He poured it out on His Son. Let's think about that for a moment. That means that the exile, as awful as it was, is described here in terms of captivity and people dying. Young men being killed with the sword in the sanctuary of the temple. The treasures of a culture being looted and hauled to the capital city of another empire. The temple set fire. Imagine the weeping and the mourning that God's people were experiencing as they saw these events unfold. And imagine standing there and thinking, even this is not everything that the wickedness in our hearts deserves. We had never seen what human wickedness deserves until we had seen the Son of God pay a price He did not owe. The place where God's wrath is poured out In all its infinite depth, it's the cross of Jesus. And that is the place where God's love is shown in all its infinite depth. If we want to remove from Scripture a God who demonstrates wrath, then we are also removing from Scripture a Savior it demonstrates love by absorbing that wrath in his own body and soul how do these things help us to make a new beginning how does it help us to make a new beginning to hear that our god is full of pity and love and compassion how does it help us to hear that when Israel was broken hearted back in the land because Cyrus had set them free and they were weeping because the, the former glory of the temple would never be found again. It helps us to know that God didn't kick them while they were down, right? That He didn't show up, send another prophet to remind them of every scandalous thing every one of their rulers ever did instead he gives them 1st and 2nd Chronicles let me tell you the story of your people let me tell you the story of King David let me tell you all the great things he did we know he did some awful things you can read about that in 1st and 2nd Kings I'm not going to tell that story today because this is a day of 1st and 2nd Chronicles this is a day for a new start a God whose heart is so full of love and compassion that when it's when it's time to begin again. He emphasizes the good news. At the end of 2 Kings. This same story about the destruction of Jerusalem is told. It takes about 25 or 26 verses. Here in Second Chronicles it takes 4 verses. And then God starts to pile on the hope. Need to make a second start? Is, is, is your marriage the one that's stuck on a downward spiral? Are, are, are you the one who's seeking out prostitutes? Are, are you, am I the one who's throwing away my internet purity? Are we the ones who need to make a new start? God would say to us, Listen as I sow the seeds of hope. Yeah, there was a time you were so bad and so broken, you thought you could never make a new start, but I turned the heart of the king. I turned the heart of King Cyrus to let my people free, to send them back to the land. The temple was destroyed, but now the temple is being rebuilt. Young men were killed. In the temple courts, but now young men are returning from Babylon. We will make a new beginning. There's a lot of sadness in our story. There are a lot of awful things in my past, in your past, in our past as a people and as a congregation. But the Lord says to us, today is the day to make a new start. And if he could say that to people whose hope was that a building was being rebuilt, how much more would he say to us who live on this side of the rebuilding of a life? After the crucifixion came resurrection. How much more does He say to us now that Jesus has come, absorbed wrath in our place, faced death for us, defeated it, put it under His feet, and is now risen and rules over everything. And He will keep ruling until He makes this earth a place of peace and joy completely. How much more on this day would the Lord say to us, my love and compassion are deep enough to give you a new start. I met a young man one time. And I tell a particular story. He had been mistreating his wife. I'll put it that way. The elders of his church had discovered this. And had confronted him about it. He was slow to repent. And so they said to him. In order to get your attention. We're going to ask you to refrain from receiving the Lord's Supper. For six months. Until we see the fruit, the evidence. That you're turning back to God. He told me this just before I was getting ready to preach a sermon about the Lord's Supper. And he told me with a smile on his face. He said, you know, when that happened, I thought, everything's over. The gig is up. These guys have seen through me. And now I can't even really fully be committed to the life of the church anymore. There's a big part of our worship that I'm, I'm being told I can't participate in. And he thought, It was never going to change. That was sort of the end of his story as a follower of Jesus. But then with a smile on his face, he said, you know, that's the best thing that ever happened to me. God was so kind to me. He loved me enough to tell me it was time to make a new start. I was slow to listen, but he's walked with me the whole way. It's not the story I thought he would be telling. We celebrated the Lord's Supper that night. We were on a retreat. He didn't participate. He sat there with a smile on his face. As he knew, he thought he was too bad and too broken to make a new start. But his God had not given up on him. Jesus was cut off from the fellowship of his people. And Jesus was cut off from fellowship even with his father. If there are times when God needs to speak to us and warn us that we might be cut off, he's, he's saying, my son has already been there. He has already done that. He has borne it for you. Come back it's not too late to begin again, to make a new start. Because no matter how bad and how broken, His love and His compassion demonstrated through His Son are always greater. We can always come back. We can always start. We can always make A new beginning. Andrew's going to come and lead us in the Lord's Supper. Let me pray for us as he does that.